0: Well, praise God. Well, this morning, we're going to go ahead and continue uh, in the series of the the book of 2 Peter. So we're going to be looking at chapter 3 today. And I've entitled the message, The Day of the Lord, because this is a chapter dealing with the day of the Lord, the day of judgment, the day of wrath, the day of God. It's mentioned a, a few different ways, but we're talking about the return of Jesus Christ primarily in this chapter. You see, in the last chapter, in chapter uh, 2, Peter was speaking out on the character of the false teachers. And basically he said, these false teachers are egotistical men with no regard to authority and they're proclaiming freedom all the while they're actually enslaved themselves. They were leading others to destruction and at the same time, they were ultimately destroying themselves. So now as he's, he's dealt with us, he's showed us what the character of these false teachers are, he begins to go into uh, counteracting some of their teaching at the time. He begins to deal with, basically, they were, they were mocking the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. They were saying that nothing's changed. Everything's the same. Why should we be worried about the return of Jesus? Why should we be worried about the wrath of God? Let us do whatever we want. So, Peter is going to be spending some time looking at the scriptures and looking at the other apostles teaching and what Jesus said saying that no that there is a day of wrath coming the day of the Lord is coming there will be judgment there will be the establishment of his kingdom and ultimately the, the earth and the heavens are going to be recreated and primarily what he's teaching us is he's not how many know that, that he's not trying to scare anybody how many know that if you're in Jesus Christ you're spared this judgment you're spared the wrath of God but he does want us to be ready, to be aware. Because you know what, if, if you're not aware, if you're not ready, you could easily be succumbed to these false teachings. You could easily be led astray if you're not thinking it's coming. You know, have you ever heard people say that, oh, uh, I just want to get saved, you know, like the minute before I die so I can live my whole life the way I want to, but then I get saved at the last minute. And I can still make it in. But Peter's going to be showing that, hey, you don't know the day or the hour. Let's be ready right now. See, and the truth is, is this is the attitude of many people in the world. Many people will lie to themselves and say there is no God or there's nothing coming. And they do it to, to justify the lives that they lead. You know, it's it's a lot easier to live an immoral life when you can teach when you can tell yourself that there's no consequence for living that way. When you can t- Tell yourself that there's that there's no reason why I need to be saved. There's no, re- there is no God. I can live however I want. People are lying to themselves, because the Bible says that you can't look out, and see creation, and and the Bible says you are without excuse. There is a God. <laughs> you know the sad thing is, is we're also seeing similar teachings in the church today. There are churches out there that claim that many sins are okay. They're they're Basically, as we were warned, uh, there are doctrines that are basically there to tickle the ears of the people listening. You know, something that we'll never do in this church is gloss over Scripture. Scripture, I'm never going to tickle your ears. Sometimes you'll hear hard teaching. Because the truth is, is we're supposed to teach the entire Bible. We can't, you know, it's, it's, it's not like the... Uh, I saw a commercial once, it was a play on that progressive insurance where you get to pick out the different stuff that you want. It was the the progressive church where you get to pick out the the little things that you want and you could put away the things that you didn't like. You see, many would pick and choose what they would want to follow in the Word of God. And I think really in the United States we see that a lot. We have a, a lot of cultural Christians that want to pick and choose what they want to follow. But the truth is we can't do that. We have to look at the Word of God in its entirety. Let's go ahead and get started. In 2 Peter 3, uh, verses 1 through 2, it says, This is now, beloved, the second letter I am writing to you, in which I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the words spoken beforehand by the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior spoken by your apostles. Something I always love about the apostles when they're speaking, when they're writing these letters, is you always see their heart in it. You always see that they care for these people. The the apostles weren't weren't men who felt like they were in some position of authority lording over those who were there, but they cared for them. They loved them. The reason they were teaching these hard things is because they loved these people they were speaking to. And he says, this now beloved, he always refers to them as beloved multiple times in these chapters, but these are men and women that he loved. And he says, this is the second letter I'm writing to you. Because I want to remind you of what's going on. He wanted them to be prepared. He didn't want them, ultimately he didn't want them to be lost in the end because they were led astray. He loved them. And we get started now as he's saying, remember the words spoken before and by the prophets and by the, the commandment of the, your Lord and Savior, the commandments of Jesus spoken by the, the apostles because we're getting ready to deal with those teachings, those poor teachings that those false prophets We're teaching them. And then he begins to, he can still consider, uh, begins to encourage them and to lift them up. He says, I'm writing to you. I'm showing up your sincere mind. He recognized that these were people who were sincerely in love with God. They had a sincere mind. They wanted to do the right thing. You see, a sincere mind is a mind that is committed to the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, when we operate half-heartedly, we're asking for trouble. And I have to admit that operating half-heartedly, you know, standing on the fence, not fully committing to God, is what ultimately leads us down that slippery slope away from the Lord Jesus Christ. You see it all the time as people begin to justify certain things, or they begin to, to uh, just they just try to argue that no, this is okay, God will understand, or I'm forgiven, and they they're not fully committed anymore, and they begin to slip away. In Revelation three fifteen through sixteen, Jesus says this to to one of the the, the seven churches: "says I know your deeds that you're neither hot." That you're neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot or cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. When we are not committed, we're putting ourselves in a bad place. We're giving, basically, we're giving the devil opportunity. We're making it where it's very difficult for Jesus to work in our lives, but very easy for the enemy to start making inroads into our lives when we're not committed to our Lord Jesus Christ. And the truth is, we were bought with a price. Our lives are fully his. And that's the way we ought to live them. Another thing to note in this verse is it's possible to have a sincere mind and a poor memory. It's, imp- it's possible to sincerely love God, but forget what he says about you. Forget the promises that he has for you. matter of fact, I think that's probably where it mostly starts. As we sincerely love God, we want to serve him. But as soon as we leave church on Sunday morning, we begin to forget that we are children of God. We forget that we are the redeemed in Him. We forget that we are victorious. We forget that we are more than overcomers. We're more than conquerors. We forget these things. The Bible says it's like a man who looks in a mirror and sees himself, but when he turns away, he forgets what he looks like. And that's where it starts. We may have a sincere mind, but we need to make sure that we're remembering what the Word God says about us as well. Peter's saying, remember the prophets, remember what they said, remember the word of Jesus. And this is what Jesus said as he's particularly dealing with this subject of in times the wrath of God come. And Jesus says this in Matthew twenty four forty two through 44. He says, therefore, be on the alert for you do not know which day your Lord is coming. But be sure of this, that if the head of the house had known at, the time, at what time of night the thief was coming, he would have been on the alert and would not have allowed his house to be broken into. For this reason, you must also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour when you do not think he will. You see, these false prophets were teaching that no, the God's not coming. But he's saying, remember what the prophet said, and we'll look at that in a little bit. He said, remember what Jesus said, the commandment of our Lord and Savior that was taught to you by the apostles. Remember these things that we've taught you. You see, the truth is, in all cases, we need to, be, we need to remember what the Word of God says so that we'll be prepared when something comes our way that's contrary to the Word of God. if something comes contrary to the word of god and you aren't able to recall what the word says because you never spend any time in it because you never have spent the time to to memorize scripture to learn what god has to say about you we're susceptible to being led astray and it's 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 not even stuff that sometimes your own consciousness or your own mind will bring stuff against you the devil brings stuff against you you'll be thinking man i just messed up i'm worthless I'm just, I'm not worth anything. I'm just such a, I'm lower than dirt. You ever ever heard people, oh, I'm I'm lower than dirt. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm just but a worm. But that's not how the Bible tells us to think about ourselves. When we fail, when we make mistakes, we need to make sure that we're recalling what the word of God says about us. The word of God says that I am an overcomer, that I am more than a conqueror, that I have been redeemed, that I am pure, that I am holy. And you do well to remember these things, When you make a mistake and and the enemy begins to tell you, no, you're not good enough. Why would God love you? When we know that God does love us, that we're the children of God. What about other teachers? You listen to other preachers. Last week I told you that even everybody you listen to, you need to compare to the Word of God to make sure that that they're preaching the right thing. I even told you, that you need to, to even look at what I'm teaching and look at the Word of God. What does the Word of God say? Is, is he in line with the Word of God? Even when I'm teaching, you need to do these things. Because if you don't, it's very easy to be led astray. When you, if you don't have the Word of God in you, if you don't know the Word of God, people can teach you anything and you just go with it. Because a lot of times it'll sound good. It'll make, it'll make sense if you just listen to what they have to say. But we need to be prepared for that. We need to remember what the Word of God says that we're prepared for these situations. In 2 Peter 3, 3-4, through 4, it says, Know this, first of all, that in the last days mockers will come with their mocking, following after their own lusts and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. How many know that, that we're in the last days right now? We're in a generation where that there were many that would come and mock the word of the Lord. You've seen it you see it all the time in this in this society, in this culture. People are mocking the Word of God all the time. They're saying there is no God. The truth is that we live a, in a world that is so wrapped up and advanced in science that we think that we can have the answer for everything in science. We have the answer for everything. So we disregard what can't be explained. We disregard the movings of the Lord and I'm talking not as, not as people in this room, I'm talking as a culture, as a society. Because we think we've got it all figured out. You know, it's interesting, if you spend time in third world countries where they don't have the same ideas that we do, that, you know, miracles happen over there a lot more than they happen in the United States. People get healed more regularly. People have, are freed from bondage and demonic influence a lot more regularly because... They're not tied down by this, uh, the, this culture that we have that everything can be explained by science. They still believe in the supernatural. and Therefore, God is able to much more easily work in their lives. You know, we have people that doubt the existence of God, and the truth is even some Christians doubt His power. You know, they, they look at the book of Acts and some of the amazing things that happened, and they'll say, oh no, that was just for the early church. I want you to know now that we need power now just as much as we ever did. To reach this dying and lost generation. If you remember in this, the last verse here, Peter was talking about the words speaking of, uh, of the spoken by the apostles. And these words that he was talking about was this, the prophets and the apostles were were teaching about the day of God, the wrath of God. This isn't a a one-off thing in the scripture, but all through the scripture, in the Old Testament and the New Testament, you'll find that there is a day of judgment coming. Enoch prophesied about this judgment, probably the oldest known prophecy regarding the judgment. He's seven generations from Adam. In Jude 1:14 through 15, it says this, It was also about these men that Enoch, in the seventh generation from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord came with many thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment upon all and to convict all the ungodly of, of all their ungodly deeds which they have done in an ungodly way and of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against them. You can read about it in the book of Isaiah. In Isaiah 2:12 it says, For the Lord of hosts will have a day of reckoning against everyone who is proud and lofty and against everyone who is lifted up, that he may be abased. In the book of Daniel, in chapter 12, 1, it says, Now at the time, Michael, the great prince who stands guard over the sons of your people, will arise, and there will be a time of distress such as never occurred since there was a nation until that time. And at that time, your people, everyone who is found written in the book, will be rescued. How many know that there is a day coming? But I know, mean, that's good news. If you're found in the book, you'll be rescued. You see, I think it's, it's, sometimes it's hard to read this stuff because we, you, you start reading, some, or you ever read in the book of Revelations and you kind of start to get scared? Oh man, this stuff's going to happen. But I want you to know that we, we've escaped out of that stuff. The day of judgment is coming. There will be a day of reckoning, but if you've accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, you're going to be safe. God knows, as we read last week, God knows how to rescue His righteous people. You know, you also see it in the New Testament. Just mark this down. Read Matthew chapter 24 and 25. I'm not going to read both chapters right now. But it talks about the Day of Judgment in those chapters. 1 Thessalonians 5. Pretty much all of that chapter talks about it as well. But a, a quick point in, chap- in verses 1 through 2, it says, Now is the time in the epics, brethren, you have no need of anything to be written to you. For you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord will come, just like a thief in the night. See, the basic why I've run through a lot of these and given you some stuff You can look up out, outside of this is this day is coming. There's no doubt about it. There's no, you read through the scriptures. It's been talked about for thousands and thousands of years. There will be a day of judgment. But the problem is there's these false teachers coming around trying to lead the people of God astray saying, what are you guys worried about? It's never going to happen. They say, where is the promise of his coming for ever since the fathers fell asleep all continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. They're saying that nothing's changed. He's not coming. You guys are, why are you guys so worked up about this stuff? Just go ahead and do whatever you want. Live how you want. See, the problem is these are people that were trying to lead them astray. And Peter is trying to help them and warn them. So, you know what? If you have the Son of God, you're free from these things. But if you, if you walk away, you might have yourself some problems. If you're going to live a, an uncommitted life, a, if you're not going to be sincere, if it's just going to be, you know, something you say, I'm a Christian on Christmas and Easter, you got problems. Because here's why. He begins to explain that they say that it's been the same always from the beginning to the end, but the truth is it hasn't. In Second Peter 3, 5-7 it says, For when they maintain this, it escapes their notice that by the word of God the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water and by water, through which the world at that time was destroyed, being flooded with water. But by his word, the present heavens and earth are being reserved for fire, kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. You know, Matthew Henry says this about the mockers, or the scoffers, is what other translations say. He says that they believe this that what he has never done, they fancy he never can do, or never will. The problem is, is when they say he has never done, his. Has it escaped their notice? Did they not notice that God formed the heavens and the earth? It isn't how it's always been. There was nothing, and then God created. And then he goes on to say, What about when the world was destroyed and flooded with water? You know what? They were all thinking. They were living up to that very day going, as Noah preached for 120 years righteous, as he preached them and said, Listen, guys, we need to get it together. And man, I look at Noah, that man right there, I think after, after 10 years of preaching, and after, after one year of preaching and nothing, you know, I'm probably done. I'm like, yeah, forget him. I'm just going to build my boat and be on my way. 120 years he preached to these people. And the world was flooded with water. You know what? Just as it was from the beginning of creation, that was something a little different. So that, has it escaped their notice? And he's saying to you, "Don't let it escape your don't let don't let yourself be led astray. Don't let it escape your notice as well." You know what's funny is we look at this stuff, and we, I talked about there's people that say, "Oh, there is no God. We have science." We, <laughs> we all like that church. Uh, you guys ever seen? Um, oh, forget the name of it, huh? I don't know what's the name of it. Oh, yeah, <laughs> Nacho. You ever seen Nacho Libre? A ridiculous movie. <laughs> there's a guy. And he goes, "I only believe in science." <laughs> oh. <laughs> Done. join the crack myself up club. Give me a second. So, <laughs> but the thing is that how many know that scientists believe the Earth was created? They don't believe it always was. Even now, they they believe that something happened, whether it was the Big Bang or there's those who believe. Over 50% of scientists still believe in creationism of some sort. And how many know that science has backed up that there was a major flood, the flood of the entire earth? You know, this this stuff this stuff has happened. You can't say it never happened. This stuff has happened. The truth is, is that the Word of God is how all these things came to be. The earth was created at the Word of God. And the earth was destroyed. Everybody living on the earth was destroyed at one time by the Word of God. And I thank God that, you know, see, the difference between then and now is, is we have Jesus. You know, we don't ever have to worry about another flood coming or, or this earth being destroyed before the day of judgment because Jesus has come and paid the penalty of sin until that time. In Romans 5 now it says, Much more than, 5 now, 5 and 9. <laughs> Romans 5 9 says, Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. That's good news. But the thing is that there are those who would reject the free gift of life given by Jesus, the free gift of righteousness. There are those who reject, reject it. They would call the Holy Spirit a liar as the Holy Spirit testifies to their heart. And the Bible in Romans 2.5 says this about those. Because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath, in the revelation of the righteous judgment of God. You know, the truth is, is that if you have Jesus, you're free from that wrath. But if you you refuse that gift, that free gift of righteousness, you're going to get to pay that bill yourself. And there are some that are storing up wrath for themselves on that day. And the truth is, it's actually quite sad. Because God still loves these men and women. And the truth is, As a church, we still love these men. There's people doing a lot of dumb things out there, but God still loves them, and and we still love them. We want to reach them. We want to give them the opportunity to make that decision. But it's incredibly sad that they have been deceived, or truthfully, most of the time they're deceiving themselves, that everything is okay and nothing really matters. Because there's going be, to come a time when it's too late to make that decision for these men and women. And, and that's actually why, as a church, we want to make sure that we're reaching as many people as we can. When we do barbecues, we want to invite people. We want to make it comfortable. There's just some way that we can touch them, we can reach their lives, that we can say, hey, God loves you and he wants more for you than what you have right now. That'll always be the focus of this church is to reach the lost, to reach this community for the kingdom of heaven, for His church, that so they could come to know the Lord and have the same blessing and the same assurance that we ourselves have. In 2 Peter 3, 8-9, through it says, But do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like one day. It's kind of hard to comprehend the way time works for God. There was an economist once, who has read this passage, and he was amazed that that uh, one year is like a, a thousand, or a thousand years is like a day for God, and a day is like a thousand years. And he, he prays up to God, and he says, Lord, is it true that a, a thousand years is like a minute to you? And God comes back and says, you know what? Yeah, it's true that a, a thousand years is just like a moment to me. He goes, well, in that case, then a, a million dollars must be like a penny to you. And God goes, yeah, a million dollars is just like a penny to me. And he goes, well, God, will you give me a penny? And he says, yeah, sure, I'll be back in a minute. <laughs> it says, do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like one day. The Lord is not slow about His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. You see, not only did the, did the mockers ignore what God had already done in the past, but they also ignored that God is eternal. You know, and say, oh, everything's been the same. He's never going to come back. Nothing's ever going to change. They ignore the fact that, that God is an eternal being and that time works a little bit different for God when you're an eternal being, a thousand years is going to be nothing to you. <laughs> you know, there's, it, he operates outside of time. So they, they mistake his mercy, his patience, his mercy, so that everybody would have an opportunity. It says right here that, that it's not slowness, but he's patient, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. These mockers are mistaking God's mercy for inaction or inability. Before any of us, for anybody, starts to consider that maybe God is not real, that he's not doing anything, that he's not at work, we need to recognize that that his not doing anything is actually because he's patiently waiting for everybody to have an opportunity to receive the free gift of righteousness in his Son, Jesus Christ. Because it's true that there is... A wrath waiting to be poured out on those who would not. But he doesn't want anybody to have to deal with that. He poured it out freely in his son so that we would not have to. And he wants that for everybody, even though there are those who are rejected. The truth is, God wants it for everybody. He's patiently waiting for an opportunity for everybody to receive his son. And the truth is, this attitude is nothing new for God. In Ezekiel 18.23, he says this, God speaking, he says, Do I have any pleasure in the death of the wicked, declares the Lord? Rather, that he should turn from his wicked ways and live. God has always wanted people to turn towards him and live. God is a God of love and compassion. It's true, God is a just God. And justice must be served. That's, that's where the wrath of God comes from, because the wages of sin is death. Do not be deceived that there is a penalty for sin. The question is, are you going to pay it, or are you going to accept that Jesus paid it for you? And whenever God says something, it will happen. I love that when God promises something, when He speaks, it's never a matter of if, but it's always just a matter of When? In Habakkuk 2.3 it says, For the vision is yet for the appointed time. It hastens toward the goal. It will not fail, though it tarries. Wait for it, for it will certainly come. It will not delay. It may require patience to, re- to wait on the return of the Lord. It may require patience waiting for his return. But anyone who lives like he is never coming is making an eternally grave mistake. 2 Peter 3.10 as we continue on and it says but the day of the Lord will come like a thief in which the heavens will pass away with a roar and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat and the earth and its work will be burned up. How many of you know that nobody knows the day and the hour that Jesus is coming back? Matter of fact the Bible says even the son doesn't know only the father knows. And he says he's coming like a thief. How many of you of know if you were a thief? and you told people the time and the hour you were going to rob them, you wouldn't be a very good thief. <laughs> At least you'd only attempt it once and then they'd be waiting for you, right? See, I think that's why this analogy is, 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 is used because thieves never announce their coming. Because it would be pointless for them. They, they operate on, on mystery and surprise. And the truth is that Jesus will come back when we least expect it. I, I always... I always find it humorous when people stand up and proclaim the end of times. They proclaim it's coming, and they, you know, they give you a, a time and a date. And the only thing I know when someone stands up and gives you a time and a date is that that's when it's not going to happen. Because how many know at that point you're expecting it to happen, and the Bible says He's going to come like a thief. I don't know when the Lord will come back, but I know two things: one, I have a desire that it would happen quickly, because I would love to be with the Lord. And at the opposite end of the spectrum, I have a desire that it takes a really long time because if He were to come back today, how many people in this city would not get to enjoy eternity with us and Him? Matthew twenty four forty two through 44 says, Therefore, be on the alert. For you do not know which day your Lord is coming, but be sure of this that if the head of the house had known at what time of the night the thief is coming, he would have been on the alert and would have not allowed his house to be broken into. For this reason, you must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour when you do not think he will. If we claim to know when he's coming, like I said, the only thing we can be certain of is he's not going to be coming at that point. And the truth is, is that this world is temporary. It's going to be burned away. It says the heavens will pass away with a roar and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat and the earth and its work will be burned up. And we don't know when it's going to happen. So our best, our best process is to be ready for it at all times. And what's interesting is if, if we put faith in this world, if our happiness and our fulfillment are wrapped up in this world, we're a sad people indeed, because God is eternal. This world is not. So therefore, I encourage you, let's, let's make sure that our happiness, that our fulfillment is bound up in eternal things, namely Jesus, not the thing to this world. Amen? So Peter continues on in 2 Peter three eleven through 13 It says, since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be? Ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning, and the elements will melt with intense heat, but according to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. So, if we know that this is coming, if all this is coming to pass, and as believers, I think we, we can look at the Word and have no doubt that this is going to be coming to pass at some point. Will it be in our lifetime? We don't know, but like we do know that the, the Word of God is true. So what should our priorities be if that's the case? What should be our focus? Living it up in this world or living it up for Jesus? In 1 Peter 1.15 it says, But like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also, and all your behavior. See, at one point God says that you are holy because I am holy. And it's not only a command, but it's a fact. Because God is holy, we are holy. Not because of anything that we've done, not any of our accomplishments, not any of our, you know, you can't help enough little old lady across the street to make yourself holy. You can't do, you can't, you can't give enough to the poor. You can't read your Bible enough. You can't come to church. There's nothing that you can do to make yourself holy, except for what Christ did in you. So, because God is holy, we are holy. But there's something else that happens when that happens as you, as you've been made brand new, you live holy because you're holy. In the First part of Peter 1.15 it says that it says, "But like the holy one who called you, be holy yourselves in all your behavior." And the only reason we can do that is because we've been made holy by the Lord Jesus Christ. I've always, I've always heard it said, and I like this phrase, is that we do what we are. And if you are holy, that is what you'll do. But if you're a, a son of the God of this world, that's the kind of stuff that you'll do as well. It's a natural result. As you've been made change, If you've been made, made brand new, as you spend time in the Word and you have your mind renewed, it's the natural result is that you'll begin to live holy because that's what you are. Next, he says that, all right, you ought to conduct, your, conduct yourself with godliness, but you also need to be looking forward to and hastening the coming of the day of God. We should be living our lives like he's returning tomorrow. One, we need to be living godly. That's one of the ways we should be doing it. But two, we need to ensure that we never miss an opportunity to share the gospel. Because if you had an opportunity to share the gospel for somebody, and he comes back tomorrow and you didn't, they've missed their opportunity. Now ultimately, we're not responsible for anybody's decision, their faith. But how heartbreaking would it be to know that they never had the opportunity because we were disobedient to the Holy Spirit as he t- told us to go speak to somebody. We need to live like t- the last day is tomorrow, that we would reach everyone that we can reach. That we, What I mean is we need to make that a priority. Next he says we should hasten his return. And we do that by preaching the gospel as well. In Matthew 24, 14, it says, This gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world as his testimony to all the nations, and then the end will come. It's interesting, by living like he's coming back tomorrow, we're actually hastening his return. if If we're living as to speak the gospel to everybody, worried that he would come back tomorrow and somebody would miss out as we've already learned that he wants all to come to repentance. And then we find that heaven and earth are going to be remade, according to his promise, and we're looking for a new heavens and a new earth, and with righteousness dwells. This is a great thing if you're going to be there, and I thank God that if you have the Lord Jesus Christ in your heart, you're going to be there. In 2 Peter 3.14, it says, Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless. Diligence and discipline are requirements to be a Christian. You know, the word disciple actually comes from the word discipline. We're to be diligent, we're to be disciplined, we're not to be wrapped up. We must not get wrapped up in complacency but rather since we are looking to his return, that we are ready for his coming. You know, some people only clean their house when they know somebody's coming over. You know, it's, I think most of us have a little bit of that. It's like, some, someone's coming over, get the house clean. I yeah, guess that happens every Saturday night. So, <laughs> but we can do that because we know somebody's coming over, right? And when you know nobody's coming over, you might get a little lax. Eh, I'm not going to do the dishes tonight. No one's going to see it. I'll do them in the morning. But what do you do when you don't know somebody's coming over? Or have you ever sold a house before, and, but you still live there? But you need to have people come over and look at it so you can sell your house. So what do you do? At that point, your house is always clean. It's always in order because you don't know when the next person will be coming over. You never know when someone's going to knock on your door and say, hey, can I come in? I just need to talk and hang out or, or any of these things. We need to live our lives in that kind of way where our house is always clean and in order. And the truth is that This is the very same thing that Jesus taught. What Peter's teaching, Jesus taught this. In Matthew 24, 42 through 51, he says this, Therefore, be on the alert, for you do not know which day your Lord is coming. But be sure of this, that if the head of the house had known at what time the night the thief was coming, and we've read this part a little earlier, he would have been on the alert and would not have allowed his house to be broken into. For this reason, you must also be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour when you do not think he will. And then he goes on to say this, Who then is the faithful and sensible slave whom his master put in charge of his household to give them their food at the proper time? Blessed is the slave whom his master finds so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you that he will put him in charge of all his possessions. But if that evil slave says in his heart, My master is not coming for a long time, and begins to beat his fellow slaves and eat and drink with drunkards, the master of that slave will come on a day when he does not expect him, and then an hour which he does not know. And she'll cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Like I said, those people that uh, that have, have that thought in their head that, oh, I'm going to live how I want and right before I die I'll, I'll get saved and then I'll be okay. You know, And it seems like an odd thought, but I have to be honest, when I was a young Christian when I first got saved, there was a part of me that went, yeah, I wish this would have happened a little later in life. Mm-hmm. What that—what What that is is, I'm just being, can I be honest with you? I'm just being honest. That's, I was, that was the naivety of a young Christian who was still, I recognized that there was a God and what was saying was true, but there was still a part of me that thought, if I become a Christian, life is going to be horrible. It's going to be so boring. I'm not going to be able to do anything. That's one of the ways the enemy uses to deceive people into becoming to know the Lord. So just being honest, yeah, there was a time in my life when I thought that for, for a, a, few, a few moments in my life. I thank God now that I, I've, I've tasted and know that the Lord is good. Amen. And I recognize that I was being deceived at that time. I, I would never think that now. At this point in my life, I wish I would have been saved so much younger. How much more could I have accomplished for the kingdom of heaven? How much more glory could I have given to God if I had been living for Him since that day when I was very young and accepted the Lord as my Savior instead of waiting till I was 33 years old with just enough faith to be saved, and most of the time, not even that. 20 years of my life at the starting line. What could I have accomplished in those years? That's totally not what I was talking about, and I don't know where I'm at anymore, so (laughs) give me a second here. The truth is is that Jesus said it, Peter says it, Paul says it. We need to be ready for his return. We can't live our lives thinking that we can do whatever we want and then at the last minute because we don't know when that's coming. And that's definitely a time for, lack of a better term, people are not going to want to be caught with their pants down. So how can we be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless? You know, when I first read this, my first instinct is to think that this is a, a a result of doing. To be found in him, to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless. My first thought was, "Man, I got to be doing everything perfect." I mean, what if he comes back at that that moment where I'm I, I'm in a, I'm in a slip? I, I just stumbled for a moment. But the truth is. What we do is not what makes us spotless or blameless. It's being in Him. In Ephesians 1, 3-4, it says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we would be, what? Holy and blameless before Him in love. That was Ephesians 1, 3-4. We're holy and blameless in Him, not of our own doing. And then in Philippians 4, 7, it says this, And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The peace of God comes from being in Christ Jesus. Spotless and blamelessness comes from being in Christ Jesus. And because of these things, when He comes, we can know that we're in this position, ready to meet Him. Not because of the things that we're doing, but because of the fact that we received the free gift of salvation. You guys ever seen that, that bumper sticker that says, No Jesus, No Peace, you know, N-O-Jesus, N-O-Peace. But then it says, No Jesus, No Peace, the K-N-O-Jesus, K-N-O-Peace. That's yeah, a lot harder as I was preparing this, I'm like, how am I going to do this so people can still understand what I'm saying when they're listening to the recording later? So instead, I'll just sound like an idiot spelling it out. But you guys know what I'm saying. No Jesus, no peace. But know Jesus, and you'll know peace. And 3 Peter 3 16 through 16. That's clever. 15 through 16. <laughs> Says, and regard the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given him, wrote to you, as also in all his letters, speaking in them of these things, which are some things hard to understand, which the untaught and unstable distort, as they do also the rest of the scriptures to their own destruction. You know, the patience of the Lord that we're supposed to regard here as salvation, is that patience is his willingness to wait, his willingness to give everybody an opportunity. And we shouldn't regard that as something bad. We shouldn't regard that as as something loathsome or him not completing his promise, but we should actually regard that as salvation because it is for those who are going to one day get the opportunity to receive his gift of righteousness. And next we go on to see that we find that Peter is in agreement with Paul. He begins to talk just as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given him, wrote to you. We begin to see that Peter and Paul are in agreement, which I have always found absolutely amazing because they were preaching completely separate for three years. And then after three years, they came together for two weeks and separated again, but they were always preaching the same thing. They were in harmony because, you know what, it's not the preaching of men, it was the preaching of God. And you can find that in Galatians uh, chapter 1, where he talks about that, that he had his experience on the Damascus Road. Then he, 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 didn't, he says, I, I didn't immediately consult flesh and blood, but he went on to preach what God had told him. Then he comes together with Peter later and is like, Hey, I'm preaching the same thing you are. It must be God. And then you get some stuff like this that, that makes me feel a little bit better about myself. He says, and also the letter speaking in them, in them of these things, in which are some things hard to understand. Peter was like, yeah, sometimes it's kind of hard to understand what Paul's saying. And sometimes I read the scripture and there's some things that are difficult to understand. But no, you're in good company when you read the scripture and there's some things that are difficult to understand. But the truth is, Peter's not trying to insult Paul. In these day and age when when they said that something was difficult to understand when they were talking about the teachers of the time, what they were basically saying is that what he's teaching is is complex and brilliant. What he's teaching are, are, these are mysteries of God. And they're on the same page. And then what I find even more amazing as we read this, he goes on to say which the untaught and unstable distort as they do also the rest of the the rest of the Scriptures. Peter is equivocating Paul's writings as Scripture. You know, Scripture is inspired by God. These are the words of God that are being, being spoke. And at this point, we begin to learn that, yeah, the, the, the writings, these letters that we read about in the New Testament, they are Scripture. And even Peter, one of the apostles, says that, yeah, Paul's writing is, is equal to Scripture. He says that they're, they're distorting what he's teaching just as they do the rest of the scriptures. And see, and that's the problem with false teachers is they take stuff, they take it out of context or they, they try to teach it in a way that's, that's leading people astray. They're distorting it. And it says the untaught are doing so. And that's exactly what Peter's warning us to do, warning us of right now as false teachers that would distort the Word of God and lead us astray. Let's, let's be ready for it. Let's be prepared. Let's spend time in the Word and know it so when it comes knocking, we're prepared. And then in 2 Peter 3, 17-18, this is the last scripture we're going to look at today. It says, You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, be on your guard so that you are not carried away by the error of unprincipled men and fall from your own steadfastness but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory, both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Amen. I think as believers today, we take for granted the greatness of the Bible that we have. You know, we, we look at... And I've said it before, we look at some of the people in the Old Testament or whatever, and we're like, man, if I lived in those days and saw those things, man, it, would, it would be awesome. But I want you to know that they've seen a lot less than we have. To. We, have we have it all written down in the Bible. We, we know, like he says here, knowing this beforehand, the knowledge that we have of who God is is so much greater than they had back then, and we are so blessed by it. Yet I think we take it for granted many times. We have a greater revelation of God than they did in the Old Testament because we see perfect theology in his son. We see who he really is in his son. And like Peter says, because of this, because we know beforehand what's coming, because we've been told by his word, we can be prepared. We can be prepared that there is a day of the Lord coming and we need to be prepared and ready, but we can also be prepared against those who would, who would teach false things and try to lead us astray. And the only way to know this is to know your word. If we know the word of God, we can read anything, we can hear anything, and we're able to discern what is truthful, not by some magical ability of our own or not by our incredible intelligence, but because, hey, I can compare it to the word of God, which I know is true. And we can discern the reliability of what is being taught. And next he says that we're to grow in the grace of you know, I find this interesting. It doesn't say grow in grace. A lot of people think that, that God is continuing to dish out more and more grace as you live your life. A lot of people think that we grow in grace, but we're to grow in the grace. God is not going to express any more grace than what he's done in his son. He can't. I mean, that is the amount of grace that was expressed in his son is so incredibly unfathomable. And it was done fully. You don't need more grace in your life to be set free. It was already done in Jesus Christ. But we're to grow in that grace that's already been given. And then it says we're to grow in knowledge. Grow in the grace and grow in knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And we do that by spending time in the Word. We begin to, you read your Word and you go, man, I don't feel like a really great person. But you're like, wait a minute. It says right here that I'm an overcomer. You know, I've got this stuff going on in my body. I don't feel right. Wait a minute, right here it says, by his stripes I am healed. You know, and I I feel like that I'm I'm always going to be a slave to this sin. But wait a minute, right here it says that I am free from the bondage of sin. We read our word and we begin to learn who we are. We grow in knowledge of him. And ultimately, we begin to learn who we are in Christ. And we can be prepared for all of these things that we learned about today. Amen? Amen. Let's go ahead and stand on our feet and we'll uh, pray and dismiss the service.